I believe this year I have, wow, it's empty. Um, I've filled a lifetime quota on certain conversations. I don't know if you feel like that. Um, if you asked me two years ago if I would have spent a full year talking about masks, for example, I would have said that's probably more than I would expect to talk about in my life. Uh, besides that, in 1980, as an eight-year-old boy, I was already pretty much decided on how effective masks were. Because I knew that Don Diego was Zorro. And that mask didn't help him at all. I, don't, I didn't ever figure out how the townspeople couldn't figure that out. But uh, that's just me. I want to talk about some brand loyalty. Uh, we've been working from the premise of uh, an unmasking our religion to, to see what it was that God really designed. Uh, We've been working from the premise of James 1.27, talking about how pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to help the widow and the orphan and the poor, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And we've talked about some false choices. Um, some choices aren't false choices. Sometimes there are a this or a that. Uh, but sometimes we get attached to one thing. Uh, and that depends sometimes on your, on your character, uh, your nature of uh, if you're a very helping person, then, then, then talking about helping people, it appeals to you. And, and, and you really identify with that. And on the other hand, uh, some people are very into uh, personal purity. And that's kind of where their focus is on it. So, so we, we can kind of, um, uh, some of the false choices, some of the, the masking of religion comes from just our, our own nature. That we tend to uh, be... Uh, uh, as people, we have an inclination towards one thing. Uh, and, and sometimes we do this with our, our inclinations. We tend to uh, so gravitate towards one thing that we get the feeling that we need to be in opposition to the other thing. I'll give you a personal example. Uh, McDonald's versus Burger King. Pretty simple, right? You know where you stand, right? Uh, we have people in here that are McDonald's people. We have people that are Burger King people. I'm a Burger King people. And uh, now, let me tell you why I'm a Burger King people. Because I, as a kid, had an inclination. And that was to do everything opposite of my brother. Now, we have to kind of add in a lot of details. Now, when I was a kid, as I say, in 1980, I was sitting there watching Zorro reruns. But uh, we would skip school, my brother and I. This is not, you know... Uh, Maybe the kids should not be listening at this point. And, uh, and my brother would borrow money from me, because uh, I had a paper out. He didn't. Uh, and, uh, and so we would skip school. We'd buy some comic books, soda, and chips, uh, or something, you know, Susie Q's or whatever. And, uh, and, and, and we'd read comic books, and that's what we did. And, um, well, my brother liked Coke. I despised Coke. Part of that because I didn't like it, but part of it is because I like to be opposite of my brother. I like Pepsi. You know, in the 80s, Burger King served Pepsi products. That changed in 1989. I remember the day I walked into a Burger King and I felt crestfallen that they had betrayed me. <laughs> and, and so my love for Burger King actually developed because of being opposite of my brother about Pepsi products. It had nothing to do with whose burgers I liked better. Now, I've developed a taste for certain things, right? And so, so there's a part of a person that says, I want to be opposite 
And, and, and will try to deny that McDonald's fries are significantly better than Burger King fries. I want to try to find that in my, in my brain. And it's simply not true. But because I, I, I feel the need to, to hold to this standard that I am inclined towards, right, uh, I have to feel that. And, and, and everything has to be on this inclination. And we can t- tend to do that. Well, it's silly with McDonald's and Burger King, and if you want to do that, that's fine. But when it becomes a thing we do spiritually, and we develop this false choice because of a way we are inclined, uh, then, then it becomes dangerous. Over the years, people have sorted themselves into Christian brands. I belong to McChurch, so all the menu items in McChurch are better, right? Or, well, I can't, I can't, I, I simply can't stand anything from Religion King, so, um, you know, so all of their items are bad, right? And, and that's how people sort themselves, and, and the reality is, is that we're humans, and in religion, things have been masked, and, and some people in McChurch might understand some things that people in Religion King don't understand. So I want to be clear as to what I'm saying. There is White Castle Church out there. Right? <laughs> there, is, there is a point at which it is wrong. Right? There, there is a point where someone has removed themselves that the rest of us understand. Why in the world does this exist? What is the clientele for this? I mean, <laughs> people from McChurch and Religion King can both agree that, that something is off here. That's not what I'm saying. But this idea of brand loyalty, where we feel that something can't be improved, that is a dangerous mentality. And so... We're talking, one of these choices that we make in Christianity is, is between the topic of personal versus public faith. I want to introduce the two sides. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll begin. Matthew chapter 6. It says, take heed, beginning in verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they can have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left know what your right hand is doing so that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, so that they can be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go to your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This, this passage talks about personal and private faith. It's in there. He begins with the topic of benevolence and, and doing uh, and giving. 
in. He moves into the topic of prayer, and we could probably expand that to lots of topics. Church I grew up in took this so seriously that they didn't pass the brass plate. We had a box on the back of the wall. Nothing wrong with that. Let your giving be done in secret. Now I might point out that the Jews had a box, and that didn't really prevent the problem. <laughs> uh, they, they still kind of had a problem, and that's that. He kind of gets into that here. Jesus points out that they kind of would sound a trumpet just to make sure. Hey, everybody, know that I am. Uh, I'm. I'm putting money in the box here, right? Or they, they come, maybe come with the coins and put them in so they bounce. You know, dollar bills. You know, they'll. Uh, you know. Make sure they bounce extra hard off the bottom. Make, make a little noise. Make, make people see and hear that I am being so generous. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Luke chapter 5, 16 kind of jumps off of the topic we were just talking about. I'm talking about prayer. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So Jesus shows this example of what he's asking them to do, to to go off by yourself and to pray personally and privately. And there are so many examples of of Jesus doing this. And 1 Peter 3, verse 1 is another important topic even within our, within our expression of faith as, as being something personal. First Peter chapter 3 uh, and verse 1. <clears throat> he says, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word will be one. Uh, by the conduct of their wives. And so sometimes we talk about evangelism being simply the expression of, of what you're doing and, and, and personal evangelism not necessarily having to be deliberate talking. That, that it can be a personal private expression that people are aware of. Uh, and that is true. And we could stop here and have an inaccurate picture of what God expects. We've done nothing but cite scripture. And they all seem to agree. But if we stopped here and said, these are the menu items. Enjoy them. God would say, not so fast. I have some other menu items that you haven't mentioned. So let's turn back to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate, in order to ask alms, money, from those who entered the temple. He saw Peter and John about to go into the temple. He was asking them for alms and Fixing his eyes on him, Peter and John said, Look at us. 
So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so, here they confirm public benevolence. Now, this is interesting. What does the man assume when they said, look at me? He's going to give me something. Why did this man assume that? Because that's what the Pharisees did. Whenever the Pharisees were going to to do something in the way of public benevolence, they made sure that everybody was looking at them. That's what Jesus just said. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those people. And here they go, and it appears to me that they're being like those people. Why Why are Peter and John doing what Jesus just said not to do? We're going to get into that in just a second. But they're clearly, at least to the letter, not doing what Jesus said. They are doing this quite publicly and openly. In fact, they're using this man's expectation to give them something, to give him something different. They're using the expectation of hypocritical giving to give him something genuine. Now, it should be noted right in the same passage that where are they going and for what purpose? They're going to the temple for prayer. It should also be noted when they're going. They're going to the temple at three in the afternoon. Now their, their societal structure is a little bit different from ours. Their, their markets and things would close around between one to two o'clock. Um, and, and that gave time. This is rush hour. Rush hour is three, not five. This is the most popular hour of prayer in their day. There's four hours of prayer at the temple or in the city. Right? Wherever you are, you kind of put your carpet down and, and pray. They did that there, just like you would see if in, a, in a Muslim country. They still do the same thing. Uh, and the society stops for a few minutes and they pray. But the temple would be where you, I mean, that's really where you go. And they're going to the most public possible place to be seen in prayer. But God said do it in private. Matthew 14 and 15 both show Jesus praying in front of thousands of people, not merely off in the wilderness, but in front of thousands of people. In Luke chapter 12, excuse me, Luke chapter 12. In verse 8. He says, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be be denied before the angels of God, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they bring you into the synagogues, and the magistrates and the authorities do not worry about what you shall answer, or how, what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what you ought to say in that hour. He's talking about public profession of faith. Not simply letting it up to people's observation. 
And we looked at multiple things and multiple topics, and, and they seem to be, how in the world can these fit in the same topic? How can you tell people to do their deeds in private and then, and then endorse Peter and John doing this most incredibly public thing? That seems to be opposite. How can, how can evangelization be something that's, that's personal and, 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 and quiet, and yet at the same time it's public, it's in the front of magistrates? It's, how in the world do, do, do we reconcile this? And so what we have to do is, is to go into them a little bit deeper and, and look at the substance of what he's actually encouraging and discouraging. That's... that's we, we so often we focus on the forms of what we should or shouldn't do and we're not looking at the, the, the substance of what God is encouraging and discouraging. And so we want to look at the coordination of these two, that how, again, these are false choices. These are things that God was not saying it's this or that. Matthew chapter 25. I want to look at Matthew chapter 25. And again, passage we've... we've not necessarily memorized, but we certainly know it very well. We could probably give the, the main ideas, probably do a good, fair job of quoting it. We're not going to read the whole thing um, because it's really a, a long text and, and a little bit repetitive. So, so we're just going to kind of take the, the guts out of it. <clears throat> Matthew 25, we're going to begin in verse 37. And, and the, the, the backdrop to this is he's talking about the division of people, right and wrong. So Matthew chapter 25, and verse uh, 37, beginning through verse 40, uh, uh, to begin, he says, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Now remember, he's talking about the righteous. This is kind of interesting. When did we see you hungry and fed or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we, did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say as much as you did it to one of the least of these who are my, who are my brethren, you did it to me. And then, of course, he flips the script and then he's talking about the negative side of things. And, and just to jump down to verse 44, he says, Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister you? And he will answer them and assuredly say to you, as you didn't do it one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And I, I find it interesting that both the righteous and the unrighteous did not see Christ in what they were doing. I, I, I understand it if it was just the second group that he mentioned that to. But it's interesting to me that even the righteous didn't see Christ in what they were doing. And he, he kind of commends them, I guess. For that. It's kind of weird. Why did you commend them for that? Now, one fails to be concerned, I guess, with looking for Christ. They just... It's their habit. It's just their general behavior to to want to help people. They don't need the extra motivation, I guess. And that's I guess that's why they're commended. This is that's what I do. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't realize the I didn't realize the significance of what I was doing. I, I just help people. I mean, we talk about people who have that natural tendency. They don't have to be given extra encouragements. Now remember that, that that's kind of a representative of Christ. Oh yeah, I should do that. Some people just don't need that encouragement. 
But some just failed to be concerned about whether or not it was Christ at all. Some people just failed to be concerned about other people. But the implication of this passage is that certainly outward expression of faith is vital. But so is the substance. So is the the personal interaction. It is just an extension of something personal. They're really not separate. Now I want to look at something that is kind of, it flips again the idea here in chapter Luke, or in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. <clears throat> Luke 13, 24 through 27. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up to shut the door, and you're standing outside knocking on the door saying, Lord, open for us, and he will say, I don't know where you're from. And you'll start to say, we ate and drank in your presence, we taught in your streets, and he'll tell you, surely I don't know where you're from. I I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. This is the opposite idea. So here, this group comes to God and and he says, listen, we did all the public religion things. Remember remember talking about how how the the people over there were going to be entered? Oh, yes, come in, enter in. You did all these things publicly. You showed this for this group of people and you did this for that people. All the public things. They got left in and this this group of people said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We did all the public things. Yeah, but you forgot something. You didn't do the personal things. So I don't care about the public things. In other words, this is not an either-or situation. The personal, private relationship stuff with God is just as important. And when we follow our tendencies, we, we start overlooking something that God says, heaven's dependent on this. I can be invalidated by failing to do either side of the equation. They are extensions of each other. Failing to maintain my virtue and my connection to Christ invalidates all the good that I can do. And what does it gain a man, or what is a profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can, you can be as effective in your outreach and do all those things in your outreach and, and, and all the wonderful public things and, and, and lose your own soul. And then what? Both sides are necessary. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. <clears throat> Actually, before we get to there, I want to go, turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want to get back to Matthew 6. I didn't miss this, and I wanted to, to look at this. Because we, um, we talked about what Christ said here. 
And, and it's important to place things in context. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, we, we read. He talks about making sure they do their charitable deeds privately. Be, before we, we try to make sure how everything works together, maybe we should look at what the substance is of what Christ is against. He has two objections here in talking about public benevolence. He's not against the doing of the public benevolence, but he says, he says what he has a problem with. He says they do it to be seen by men. It's how they're doing it. Not necessarily that they're doing it. That's why John was, and, and Peter, they were acceptable. He says um, they're doing it to be seen by men. And his second objection is kind of connected to it. He says they get their reward. They already have their reward. In other words, those who did their public benevolence, the, the hypocrites, they had a flipped view of what they were doing. To them, they were the ones receiving the reward for this. The agent in the giving of the reward was not them. They were the ones to get the reward, which was honor. The agent in the giving of the reward was the poor person that happened to be there. That was the necessary person that's there so that I can get the reward of giving things and getting honor. And so they completely had it upside down. This wasn't about God. This wasn't about the person. It was about them. And thank goodness that poor person is sitting there on the side of the road so that I can get glory. That is so upside down. He said, well, they got their reward. Congratulations. That's all you get out of it. Because there's nothing eternal there. So those are his objections. And if you look at what goes on in Acts chapter 3, see, none of that is there. All, in fact, Acts chapter 3 is the, the backdrop for a sermon giving honor to God for being the one. And not, it's not we who did this. It's God's power. God's power came through us. But, but it's not about us at all. See, see they are uh, trying to get rid of the honor. Trying to shunt that out. It's not about us. The same power that, that made this man uh, walk is, this, is the same power that, that let Christ rise. And they always bring it back to Christ. And it's always a message about Christ. And that agrees with, with what Christ said. When you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. And it was always bringing it back to Jesus Christ. And what about prayer? He has two objections here in Matthew chapter 6 about prayer. It's not the doing of public prayer, obviously, because people prayed publicly. And Jesus prayed publicly. But his objections... Who are you in communication with? Pray to your Father. But when we look at the hypocritical prayers, who do we see? We see people who are in communication with an audience. Hypocritical prayers are addressed to people. Oh, oh they're phrased as though they're to God. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like this other person over here. Who's that addressed to? That's not addressed to God. 
That's addressed so that everybody can know that I'm a good person and I ain't like this guy. See, it's not a prayer to God at all. That's what God had a problem with. First, that, or, that's the first thing. He goes on, he says, don't use all the words, all the fancy words. Oh, they think they'll be heard for their many words. God is not impressed with flowery speeches. He's got a lot more words than you got. But the ornate speeches, those are for public consumption. When all of a sudden I go from a person who talks this way and then all of a sudden, oh, our father. See, all of a sudden I've changed. Why have I changed? Not because I'm talking to God. I've changed because I'm talking to people. You might as well skip it. Because I ain't listening. You're not talking to me, so why would I listen? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 Now keep in mind, this is all the same sermon, so it's not going to be contradictory, right? Jesus is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. They don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand so it gives light to all who are in the house so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven so so this agrees with what we've just talked about jesus isn't going to contradict himself a few sentences later he has two objections so in the same sermon first of all in the same sermon jesus has talked about doing things publicly and privately right they both have their uses. So Jesus has two object- objections. First of all, if we have no flavor, how are people going to be attracted? That's his objection. In other words, my lifestyle has to be attractive to other people. That requires that other people, that there's a public interaction with people and that it's a pleasant one. <laughs> don't, don't forget that part. But there's a second part of this. He says, I didn't give you light just so you could keep it to yourself. If I give off no light, then how are people going to be drawn to it? The church has to be visible. Visible, Visibility and personal expressions of faith are not contradictory. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to sum up here. And I like this, I really love this, this chapter. As I say, I, I, every time I preach I get another favorite chapter in the Bible. <laughs> Acts chapter 2 uh, went through this um, and we just went through the book of Acts and looking at what makes the church effective. And, and this chapter 
more than any other chapter, maybe just partially because it's you know, over 40 verses long, but had more than any other single chapter in the book of Acts in terms of the, the different things that I pulled out and, and could see how they interacted and, 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 and both personally and privately and uh, with God and with people uh, internally and, and to see how this leads up and, and thousands of people are, are becoming Christians at the end of this. But beginning in, in verse 42, he's, we're now after that first conversion And he says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came on every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and those who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions, their goods, they divided them all as anyone had need. And so continuing, 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 daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. What a way to tie all this up into one neat, pretty package. To see in here, in this first-born church, the simplicity of how everything works together. Some things require a group and some things require just pure simplicity. Just personal expressions of faith. And talks about their hearts. That's, that's personal. We see some people just meeting house to house. Just... just Interacting on a small level. We see public things. We see people just giving in a small way. We see collections being taken publicly in large groups. And it's really, it's all of it. There's no one thing happening. There's no one side of this issue. In this group of things that they continually did, there are things that can't be done or are not supposed to be done privately. You can't fellowship by yourself. You can't do it. I think we've, we've seen this year how inadequate a television camera is. I mean, we can do some things through that. You can get some of what you need that way, but it's inadequate. We were designed for a group, not for a TV screen. Now prayer, you can do prayer on your own. But communion, I mean, think about how often we read 1 Corinthians. It says, and often, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. I mean, if you're by yourself, who are you proclaiming to? That's called talking to yourself. There's got to be someone there if you're proclaiming something. 
We were not designed to go take our personalized communion kits. We were designed to commune together around the Lord's table. That's, that's a table set. And so in this passage, I mean, teaching and admonishing one another, I can sing, good or bad, I can sing by myself. But I can't encourage you by myself. There's some things we need each other for. There's personal, private relationship. And there is public and together relationship. In this case, the third option is not just a possible option. It's a requirement. A combination of things is required. And they're required because both are limited. That's why God emphasizes one here and he emphasizes another here. Because they both have limitations. My personal faith is limited. Because as I say, we can have our own light and yet I can conceal it from other people if I conceal that light from other people it will die eventually a friend of mine actually a professor of mine talked about going to um, he went to someone's house hadn't been to church in a long time and that person said oh you know I can pray by myself now it was, it was winter he went in and um, <clears throat> guy had a fire. This was a long time ago, and and he just he just walked into the house and he was playing with the fire. The preacher was, and he uh, he took the tongs. The guy didn't know he thought, thought he was being absent-minded. And he took one of the logs out of the fire, just kind of pulled it like about that far away, just kind of set it there. No, um, and he was chatting with them. And uh, by the end of the conversation, the guy, he knew kind of what the guy was going to say. Oh, I, you know, I pray by myself. I have my Bible and I do all this stuff. And um, he just told him, he said, look at that log. Just look at it. What about it? He says, you notice that the rest of the fire is still burning? That log was on fire when I pulled it out. What happened to it? It can't stay hot by itself. We're made for a group. And so the personal is limited. It's very vital. All those individual logs make a bright, hot fire. And it's so necessary. The public is limited as well. I can gain the whole world and lose my own soul. I can, I can come to the group and sing in the group and I can do all those things in the group and, and, and assure everybody and, and, and make it look like I've got everything under control. And the personal can be absent. And so God says, you need to maintain the connection to me but you also need to maintain the connection with those who are around you. 
And that is what faith is destined and designed to be.